Hello and welcome again to the Sustainable Futures Show. This is Anthony Day and today's topic is education. Last week I presented at the Education Show at the National Exhibition Centre in Birmingham. I spoke about sustainability in schools, as a business, as part of the curriculum and as a career choice. Here's what I said. The next session in the How Do I area is How Do I Make Sense of Sustainability? Please welcome your speaker, the sustainability coach, Anthony Day. Hi. Right, let's get down to it. Shirt sleeve time. Sustainability. Okay. How do I make sense of sustainability? How do we make sense of sustainability in schools? I want to talk to you about sustainability in a school as a business. I want to talk about sustainability as it relates to the curriculum and the overall ethos of your organisation. And I also want to talk about sustainability as a career path and the influence that it will have. Now, I think that the first question that we've got to answer is sustainability, what's all that about? What do we actually mean when we say sustainability? Okay, sustainability is holding on to the standard of living that we're all used to in face of a vast number of seriously changing issues throughout the world, which will continue to change throughout the coming century. And let's face it, an awful lot of the children that we are teaching now will be alive in 2100. And the changes that we'll see will be absolutely vast. I think the most important issues, first of all, are climate change and energy. But there are global pressures not only on them, but also on water, and waste, and resources, and population, and food, and pollution. But let's talk first of all about climate change. What is climate change? Well, is that global warming? Some would say that's global warming. What's wrong with that? Isn't it nice to have warmer temperatures? I mean, look what it's done for Scarborough. Except that isn't exactly what's happened. That warmth is energy, and that energy has gone into the weather systems. And that means that the winds are stronger, the storms are wetter, the tides are higher, and in other parts of the world, the droughts are drier. Droughts where there have never been droughts before. So, rather than that, this is what we see. And that was the Philippines 18 months ago, and you've been watching the news, Vanuatu has been devastated just like that in the last week. People with nowhere to live, nothing to eat, nothing to drink. It's devastation. Now we could say cynically we're very fortunate because the worst effects of climate change generally occur in underdeveloped countries, developing countries, a long way away. So we're very sorry about it, but it doesn't really affect us. Well, yes and no. Did you know that ASDA said last year that 95% of its fresh food 95% of its fresh food, which must be fruit, vegetables, meat and fish, 95% of it is at risk from climate change. Because of the deserts, because of the droughts, because of the storms, because of the floods. And of course, if Asda is saying that, the same will be true of Tesco and Morrison's and Sainsbury's and all the rest. There is a potential of a global food crisis. And not only because the population is growing, 7.2 billion on the earth at the moment, growing at a reducing rate, actually. But the point is that between now 
2030, 15 years, 2.5 billion people will move into the middle classes. The middle classes who expect a Western meat-eating diet. The middle classes who expect to have their own personal transport. The middle classes who want a higher standard of living and like to go out for retail therapy. I hate that phrase. But the point is, this is all putting pressure on the environment. And the other side of things is geopolitics. Many would say that the Syrian conflict is the first war to be caused by climate change. How so? Well, after four years of continuing drought, when the crops failed and the cattle died and there was nothing left at all for the farmers, hundreds of thousands of people had no alternative but to rush into the cities. And there they already found a whole load of refugees from the conflict in Iraq. And there were all sorts of tribal differences. The whole thing's blown up, and it goes on, and it goes on. On the energy side, there is a global energy crisis in the making, and we've got a fair few problems in the UK. The big problem globally is, and you may have seen this published in the, in the news quite recently, even the Bank of England have said this is a problem. We cannot burn all the remaining fossil fuel reserves because if we do we will cause runaway climate change and we'll poison the planet. In fact, we are going to have to leave two-thirds of all the oil and the coal and the gas in the ground. And that's going to put prices up, that's going to cause all sorts of problems, that means we are going to have to work like mad to find some alternative, which will be in terms of generating from renewables, and also in terms of managing our energy use. So that's the sunset industry. Renewables are the future, but at the moment in the UK, only 17% of our energy comes from renewables, so there is an awful long way to go. An awful long way to go. Let's look at the school, let's look at the school as a business. All businesses need to be sustainable. There are more and more pressures on businesses of all types to being sustainable. And what does that mean? It means using what you've got efficiently. It means getting more from less, if you possibly can. It means managing energy. And schools need to manage waste, they need to manage water. Those, I think, are the key things which uh, schools should be looking at. Water is difficult unless you're actually doing a new build or a refurbishment because generally it's going to involve capital investment. You're going to have to install, if you've not got them already, waterless toilets, dual flush toilets. You may be able, on a new building, to put in rainwater harvesting and use that water to flush the toilets. You may, if you've not got them already, put in auto-stop taps so they're not running all the time. And taps which bleed in air so in fact the amount of water which comes out is much reduced. On the waste front, of course, recycling, I bet we all recycle. Is anybody here who doesn't recycle? No, nobody would dare put their hand up to that. But recycling is what you do with something when you can't do anything else with it. If you can actually stop the waste at the beginning, if you can stop using whatever material it is that ends up at waste, then you've got a win-win. And we'll talk more about recycling a bit later on. But energy is the key. Every organisation uses an awful lot of energy. And I can let you have a check sheet and you can walk through your buildings and there are 12 things you can look at relating to your HVAC, your heating, ventilation, air conditioning. 
There are six things you can look at in relation to your lighting. And there are things as well you can look at in relation to your office equipment and to the building itself. If you are a business manager or school administrator, you may well be responsible for purchasing the energy, for buying the electricity, buying the gas. And obviously your aim is to get it for the best possible price. There are energy managers right across industry, right across the public sector. But increasingly, there are now not just energy buyers, but energy managers. And the manager's role is not only to find and procure the energy at the best possible price, but to make sure that the organisation uses it in the most efficient and the most economical way. There is an organisation called the Energy Managers Association. I'm going to give you a link which will give you a whole load of links and that is included on that. The Energy Managers Association provides training, it provides um, documentation, a lot of it is free, membership is free, so you might as well have a look and see what they can do to help you improve your school. Of course, maybe you should start with renewables. Wind turbines are not really practical in any sort of urban environment. The reason for that is there is so much turbulence because of all the buildings that they don't work well. But what about solar power? This is an initiative from Friends of the Earth. They say every school that can should install solar panels. They say, on average, if you do, you will make or save £8,000. So that's worth having. But the, 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 the basis of, of their um, campaign is that apparently, as a school, you're entitled to borrow money to install insulation. But you're not entitled to borrow money to install solar panels. So they want to get that changed. And of course, whatever your organisation, you're going to have to make a business case. You're going to have to make sure that it's right for you. But I mean, if there's a possibility of making £8,000, it's something you should look at. The link is on the page which I should direct you to. Sustainability in the curriculum, in the school at large. There are all sorts of things. But I'm going to go back before I get into that, because what I should have told you about is, as a business... There is the Carbon Trust, which helps organisations, again, lots of free resources, helps organisations reduce their, uh, their carbon footprint. There is the Energy Saving Trust, which does what it says on the tin. It helps you save energy, both in organisations at school and at home. There is RAP, which is the recycling organisation, and it helps you to um, recycle, basically. Uh, helps you with the circular economy, which we'll come to in a moment. So now we'll come on to sustainability in the curriculum and the overall ethos of the school. There are a lot of organisations, I expect you'll be aware of them, that offer free resources to help you make your school greener. And to do that, not because it's a good thing, but to do that because it puts a different dimension on the pupils' understanding of their place in the world and indeed how the world is changing. Now, the Ellen MacArthur Foundation works in education, business innovation and analysis to accelerate the transition to a circular economy. Who knows what the circular economy is? Okay, at the moment we have what's typically called a linear economy. In other words, we take, make and discard. We take things from nature. We grow cotton, we grow food, we grow timber. We drill for oil, we mine for gold and stone and all sorts of things. We take all these materials and we bring them into our manufacturing process. 
and we produce goods and the consumers buy them and when they're finished with them, they throw them into landfill. And then we go and take some more and mix them all and throw it away. But we can't carry on doing this. There are 7.2 billion people here and the middle classes are growing and so are their expectations. That is why we need a circular economy. And the theory of the circular economy is that you start at the design phase. You design a product which can be used and when it's been used for the first time it can be refurbished and when it's been used again it can be remanufactured and when it's finally got to the stage where you can't do anything more with it you can actually disassemble it into the individual components and they can go back into the production process so the whole thing starts again because we're in a situation already where taking is more and more and more difficult because there's not so much left and making might be all right but when you come to throw it into landfill, there's less and less space in landfill. So the circular economy mimics nature, because in nature there's no landfill. In nature, things grow, if they're plants perhaps, animals eat them, other animals eat them, eventually they'll die, they will actually decay, and they'll become part of the leaflet of the compost, more plants will grow, animals, and so on and so on. There is no landfill in nature. Why should we need it? These are the sorts of materials which the Ella MacArthur Map Foundation makes available. There's a whole range of it. You can find, sorry, you can find more on the website. And again, I'm going to show you the links a bit later on. The Edible School Garden. The Edible School Garden is a way of getting people closer to nature. If you've got a bit of spare land, why not grow some food so that children understand that it doesn't just come off the supermarket shelves. That not only does the seed have to be sown but things have to be nurtured that they are at risk from the weather they are at risk from bugs they are at risk from diseases and it begins it puts a new dimension on it i was just talking to the people in, in tesco actually uh, they've got a stand here and they take children around their stores and help them understand exactly where these things come from now this particular edible school garden is a project in london there is the Edible Schools Project in Leeds. I'm sure there will be schools projects or edible projects like that in areas near you. And if not, well, why not read these websites and uh, work out what they have to offer and start it up for yourself. And then TerraCycle. This is an interesting way of recycling, and I don't know whether you've come across it, but TerraCycle recycle things which not normally can be recycled. At this point, I was going to mention that um, we have got a British bin supplier up there. They're here to sell recycling bins. What does TerraCycle do? Well, TerraCycle takes things which you can't normally um, recycle. So if you go into a coffee shop and you have a coffee and you have a little biscuit, you've got a tiny wisp of cellophane, what on earth use is that? But if you've got 500 kids having biscuits at break and you've got 500 wisps, and you've got another 500 tomorrow, another 500 after that, you're starting to have a bulk which is worth doing something with. So you box it all up and you send it off to TerraCycle and they recover the plastics and they produce useful things which could be sold like watering cans and things like that. But you get a point or a number of points for everything you send up to be recycled. And you can spend those points on projects in the third world, helping, helping families and, and villages become more sustainable. So you've got a triple win. The rubbish is not going to landfill, it's making a new product, and you're helping people in the third world. 
So I, I recommend you, you have a look at TerraCycle. Just going back to getting closer to nature and food and all that sort of thing, don't forget there is just there an outdoor education kit stand. Another way of getting pupils to engage with the world in which they live and realise that, um, that they are an integral part of it. Eco schools, you may well have heard of eco schools. I'm very disappointed that eco schools has not got a stand here. But eco schools is an organisation, a charitable organisation, which exists to encourage schools to do everything ecological, both out of school, in school, and to link to the curriculum as far as possible. Eco schools provides awards, and you get surprisingly a green flag. You get a bronze green flag, you get a silver green flag, you get a green green flag. And if you want it next year, you've got to go through the whole thing again. You've, you've, you're constantly monitored. So it's not something that you do and you rest on your, nor on your laurels. The Sustainable Schools Alliance, which also hasn't got a stand here, is, um, a, again, provides a large amount of free resources for bringing sustainability into your organisation. And Sustrans, and we have a representative of Sustrans, they are focused on schools the sustainable way of going to school, being walking or cycling or skateboarding even. So there is a tremendous amount of help and I know everybody in education has got a tremendous amount of work already. I know that you've got pressures from all directions but I hope that this is something that you can do instead or you can do differently. I hope it's not something which will add to your workload because I know that you're not looking for extra work. What about sustainable careers? How are jobs going to change because of all the pressures, all the global pressures of sustainability? Well, last year this, was, uh, this report was published. This report was published by the Institute of Environmental Management and Assessment. And what they said basically is that the answer to sustainability, the answer to sustaining our standard of living and so on, lies in technology, but we have a serious shortage of skills in the UK. It's something which needs to be urgently addressed. I went to hear the, um, the CSR manager of McCain Foods. You've all heard of McCain Foods. They make the frozen chips. One in every three frozen chips consumed in the world comes from McCain's and they are very, very eco-focused. They do all sorts of things. You know, they have anaerobic digesters to deal with all the potato peelings. They have wind turbines on their sites. And well, it just goes on and on. But what he said was, we need more food engineers. Engineers, I hear that again and again. I was talking to the uh, chief executive of a biodiesel plant, a plant which takes feed grain wheat, extracts um, bioethanol from it, leaving a residue which can still be fed to the cows, which sounds pretty good. Um, so again, another win-win. You've got fuel for vehicles and you've still got food for, for cattle. But he was saying, we need chemical engineers. We need people with technical qualifications. Of course, sustainability will affect people in all sorts of different walks of life, in all sorts of careers. Certainly the work for accountants and lawyers Somebody has got to make the regulations for wind farms and, and water turbines and solar panels and all that sort of thing. Somebody has got to get all the permits. 
somebody has got to make sure that all the environmental standards are enforced. We need people with all sorts of skills like that. People who are going to the medical profession may well see things change. As, for example, it gets warmer and the mosquito, the, the malaria mosquito moves further north. There, there will be pressures and challenges there. Our world is changing. We are going to have to do different things. We're going to have to do things differently. Well, at this point, I thought I would say, does anybody want to actually add anything or ask anything or um, comment in any way before I go on to my final points? Mr. Sustrans, would you like to say something about what you do? Um, we do have officers, 150-odd in the UK, working at schools. But they tend to be in certain areas where we work with particular local authorities and certain funding groups. We have lots of free stuff to, uh, that's available on our website, though. So, um, curriculum resources, really simple ones, ones which get uh, children uh, investigating and auditing the streets around their schools, seeing what they could change, and then submitting their manifestos to their MPs or local councillors. And we've had them, uh, some of these children have gone and presented to the uh, cross-parliamentary committee on um, uh, physical activity. Uh, if you go do a typical school journey by bike or scooter or walking, that will probably get you about the half of the one hour you need of physical activity every day. That's uh, donated by the chief medical officers um, and unfortunately about uh, a quarter to a third of all our young people are either overweight or obese. Thank you very much. Uh, anybody else like to do a plug or ask a question or make a comment? Right, well anyway. Okay, um, resources. Uh, I've put together a number of things. I actually published the Sustainable Futures show. It's a podcast. You can find it on iTunes. It's free. And uh, I talk every week about sustainability issues. Mainly about sustainability for business, but most of these things affect all of us all our lives. And I do a sixth form presentation, a 45-minute presentation to sixth formers. Seven billion people want everything you've got. And we go forward and we talk about exactly how things are going to change, what the pressures are on population, on food, on water, on waste, on energy and on climate change. And finally, if you go to that link on my website, don't go to the front page of the website, you've got to put slash edshow on the end, and it'll take you to a page where I have links to all the organisations I've spoken about, and you can go and find more information. So uh, remember, it's www.anthony-day, don't miss out the hyphen, because it doesn't work, .com edshow. So, how do I make sense of sustainability? That's how I make sense of sustainability. Right, so that's what I told them at the education show. We're going to talk about education more in the future, because after all, the future belongs to our coming generation, and we need to be sure that they have the tools and the expertise and the knowledge to make the very best of their future. This is Anthony Day. Thank you again for listening to this episode of the Sustainable Futures podcast. Now on Stitcher, as well as on iTunes, and shortly to be on Miro. Stitcher is S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R dot com. And you can get the app and you can listen to the Sustainable Futures show wherever you happen to be. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank those people who have written in to give me comments and ask questions. Delighted to hear from you. I'm getting them not only from the UK, but also from the United States. So we will try and incorporate more international content. 
and I've got a number of interviews and a number of ideas coming up. So you can be sure that you'll get something, a new episode every Friday. And uh, so that's it for this Friday. And thank you again for listening. My name's Anthony Day, The Sustainable Futures Show. Until next time. Thank you.